Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, a furious President Biden defends his memory amid concerns. My memory is fine. People across the nation. I love football more than anything. And even horses. (laughs) are excited about the Super Bowl. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, worries among the nation's transgender people in a massive poll. So many transgender people now do really feel unsafe walking down the street. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. The White House is in damage control mode after the special counsel's report on Mr. Biden's handling of classified documents. He was cleared of criminal wrongdoing, but the special counsel described Mr. Biden's memory as hazy and poor. The president was not pleased. No criminal charges came out of President Biden's classified documents investigation. But Special Prosecutor Robert Hur made a characterization in his report that created a political firestorm, writing Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview with him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, prompting Mr. Biden to call a rare last-minute evening press conference, firing back. I know what the hell I'm doing. My memory is fine. Her, a Republican tapped by the attorney general to oversee the Department of Justice probe, added that Mr. Biden could not recall details about his life, including when his son Bo died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. The 345-page report is the result of a year-long investigation. It concluded that Mr. Biden's actions posed serious risks to national security, laying out photos of records dating back to his time as vice president that were crammed into desk drawers and boxes in Biden's Delaware home and others at a former office in Washington, D.C. I take responsibility for not having seen exactly what my staff was doing. It goes in and points out things that appeared in my garage, things that came out of my home, things that were were moved not by me, but my staff. The Department of Justice declined to bring criminal charges because the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. I did not break the law. Period. The press conference was tense with reporters crammed together shouting questions. The president also offered his sharpest criticism yet of Israel when he was asked about its handling of the war against Hamas. The conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip 
has been um, over the top. History made Thursday at the Supreme Court as justices heard arguments over whether former President Trump is constitutionally ineligible to hold office again over his actions involving the deadly January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. In a case that could determine the presidency, the justices seem to find rare common ground, appearing poised to rule, perhaps unanimously, that states can't use an obscure constitutional provision to kick Donald Trump off the ballot. That would be up to Congress. Liberal Justice Elena Kagan got right to the point. I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. Conservative Amy Coney Barrett agreed. It just doesn't seem like a state call. The Colorado Supreme Court said Trump should be removed from the state's ballots, narrowly ruling he committed insurrection on January 6 and was disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It says no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office who took an oath and then engaged in insurrection. Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson focused on the amendment's specific words as another reason Trump could prevail, suggesting the provision passed after the Civil War didn't clearly apply to presidents. They were listing people that were barred and president is not there. And so if there's an ambiguity Why would we construe it against democracy? The justices also were troubled by the potential impact of the Colorado decision and how it could be weaponized by both sides. I would expect that uh, a goodly number of states will say, uh, whoever the Democratic candidate is, you're off the ballot, and others, uh, for the Republican candidate, you're off the ballot, and it'll come down to just a handful of states that are going to decide the presidential election. That's a pretty daunting consequence. People camped out overnight for up to two days to get a seat inside, but Trump did not attend. I'm a believer in our country and I'm a believer in the Supreme Court. Uh, I listened and I thought our arguments were very, very strong. Now, normally with a case this momentous, we wouldn't expect a decision before the end of June when the big ones typically come down. But the court has fast-tracked this case. Super Tuesday is less than a month away, so we could get a decision sometime in the next few weeks. Jan Crawford, CBS News, Washington. It's already tax season. As you prepare to file your taxes, remember, paper equals problems. File electronically and use direct deposit to avoid a delay, and you should get a refund in 21 days or less. And there are lots of resources available to help you prepare that return. The IRS works with a number of tax preparation companies through its free file program. That's for those who made $79,000 or less in 2023. The IRS is also testing a new program this year to help taxpayers of any income level. It's called Direct File, and it will roll out in 12 states starting in March. For this first year, for this pilot year, we're keeping it simple. So taxpayers are eligible, for example, if they take the standard deduction versus the itemized deduction. If Direct File isn't for you, there are other options. The Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program provides free tax help to those who earn $64,000 or less. It also serves people with disabilities and limited English speakers. Tax Counseling for the Elderly provides free tax help for individuals who are 60 years and older, specializing in pensions and retirement-related issues unique to seniors. 
and MILTAX offers free return preparation and electronic filing for all military members and some veterans with no income limit. In New York, I'm CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Remembering a British invasion. 60 years ago, the Beatles arrived at New York's Kennedy Airport and were greeted by thousands of screaming fans. They were asked about their hair. Do you hope to get a haircut at all? No. no. Why they're loved so much. And they were even asked. No. But then they made their way to the Ed Sullivan Show where they performed on US TV for the very first time. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Stacy Lynn, CBS News. Coming up, chaos on Capitol Hill. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. It took a bipartisan group of lawmakers months to come up with a plan involving tightening security at the border and aid for Israel and Ukraine. But this week, CBS's Nicole Killian reports it went poof, and now there's a new package on the table. It went down the drain, whatever analogy you want to use. It didn't survive. I mean, within about 24 hours of the bill being unveiled, it was facing a lot of heat, both from Republicans and Democrats, and essentially imploded, uh, which was pretty stunning to at least the negotiators here on Capitol Hill, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, and Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, all of whom had worked on this package for the better part of four months, only to see it go down in less than a day. We have a long ways to go before we know whether this new package, this new foreign aid supplemental, will ultimately clear. And didn't a lot of this have to do, as many people, including at least one of the negotiators said, have to do with former President Trump, who was like, yeah, let's not do this in this election year, because why give Democrats the victory? Is that actually what happened? Well, certainly many congressional Democrats blame the former president for what they feel is undermining the deal. I mean, look, the former president made no secret that he thought that this was a bad deal, a bad bill, and that Congress shouldn't consider it. And certainly in the House, many Republican lawmakers did heed the former president's words. In the Senate, again, there was a hope that maybe Some people would buy into this bipartisan package, but again, ultimately that did not happen. So many feel that the former president is to blame to a certain extent because they feel that, and he has said as much, that this could potentially be a gift to President Biden if this bipartisan package were to have succeeded. And in an election year, something that's good for Biden isn't good for Trump, which is why he was pushing against this package. And at the end of the day, we know among voters that immigration is a very key issue and there are, are a lot of concerns about the border. So regardless of what happens here on Capitol Hill, this is likely to be litigated throughout the 2024 cycle. CBS's Nicole Killian. 
Also on Capitol Hill this week, the heads of three major drug companies were accused of ripping off the American people by charging more for some of their most popular medicine in the U.S. compared to other nations. Three giants of American medicine took a heavy dose of criticism. Americans are forced to pay higher and higher prices for the drugs they need to survive. From a Senate committee investigating prices of some of the most popular medicines, thousands of dollars for diabetes drug Genuvia and HIV treatment Simtuva. It's like a bag of heavy rocks. It's been people have been carrying this around on their shoulders. The CEOs of Johnson and Johnson, Merck, and Bristol Myers Squibb. Will you commit today that Bristol Myers Squibb will reduce the list price of Eliquis? We can't make that commitment answered for why their drugs cost three times more in the U.S. than in 33 other wealthy countries. It has very high labor costs, their transportation costs, their raw material costs. The execs and Republicans argued the companies often pump their massive earnings into research and new medicines. We spend six times more in developing cures for patients than we did in a store buyback. But some Democrats slammed the companies for spending tens of millions on executive compensation as millions of people skip doses they can't afford. Has there ever been a time where you had to skip a dose because you didn't have the money? Yes. Including Erica Jacobson, a Montana mother of three who pays $12,000 a year to treat seizures and an ulcer. I had to go to the ER and spend a couple days in the ER. Merck CEO Robert Davis said drug makers do offer rebates and discounts, but Davis, who testified only after being threatened with a subpoena, declined to answer our questions. The pharmaceutical giants are also suing to stop the Biden administration's plan to give Medicare more power to lower prescription drug prices, saying it'll cut into their earnings and their ability to create new medicines. Scott McFarland, CBS News, The Capitol. Are you putting together an epic Super Bowl feast? KDKA-TV's John Shumway warns, be careful. Let's start with the food. Super Bowl spreads are legend, but you don't want to make anyone sick. So, for example, chicken, beef, those types of products, uh, any shrimp, somebody might have, you know, some shrimp. Those would be the things that you have to be most concerned about. They fall into the keep the hot things, hot, cold things, cold rule, says Penn State food safety expert Mary Alice Gettings. Because you want to make sure that those products stay either below 41 or above 135. And if they're not, there's a golden rule. If they're out for two hours and they're not temperature controlled, then you need to put them back into the refrigerator. Mary Alice says dips are generally okay, but use utensils. No hand dipping or double dipping. The salt content in pepperoni, salami, and cheese help them last longer. You just want to avoid bacteria on the temperature-sensitive foods. That gets into your tummy and you get sick. Now, when it comes to the spirits flowing in your place... Pennsylvania takes the position that it's the person drinking that is responsible for any subsequent accident, not the person serving in a private social setting. Attorney Bob Daly says that argument crumbles if an obviously intoxicated person is served and gets in an accident. You know, you may run a risk on, on the criminal side. You should, of course, make sure your guests are not visibly intoxicated. And if they are, make certain they're not driving. And Daly says serving 
anyone underage is a criminal offense. And if they cause a wreck, you not only have criminal liability, you could have civil liability as well. Back to the dips for just a second. Mary Alice says they're safe as long as they don't have a protein in them, like buffalo chicken dip or crab dip. Then they do need to be maintained at the proper temperature. If that little voice in the back of your head says, you know, I don't know about this, it's better to be safe than sorry. But in St. Paul, Minnesota, WCCO-TV's Reg Chapman with the story of those who really need to eat and stay warm. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Good morning. Here you go. Well, thank you. Yeah, you guys hungry? Yeah. Every day, members of the Ramsey County Outreach Team are meeting people where they're at. Hello, ma'am. Are you hungry? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. They go to where the unsheltered hang out during the day and pass out beef sticks. On the back of the package, a phone number for resources needed to get them off the streets. You can't drive anywhere in the city and not see an encampment somewhere. Those beef sticks coming from a group called Hunter's Harvest. The outdoors organization donates part of their take to help the military and first responders and the homeless in the capital city. Most people don't want to be down here. Community Service Officer Reverend Daryl Spence has worked with the community for more than 30 years. He knows many now living on the street. This has to be one of the worst years when you look around. Coming up, worries about the measles. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Tensions remain high between the U.S. and Israel as Israel pushes ahead with plans to raid another town in Gaza. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has instructed the Israeli army to prepare a plan for the evacuation of more than one million Palestinian civilians in the city of Rafah in southern Gaza. Netanyahu says it's impossible to achieve the war goal without destroying the remaining four Hamas battalions in Rafah. The United States has come out against an Israeli military operation in the city, warning that it would be a disaster. Yotam Confino for CBS News in Tel Aviv. This is civilians in that southern Gaza city try to cope. Displaced Palestinian children play with colorful kites in their new makeshift home in Rafah. Israeli aircraft are in the sky and we are sick of war, says Yamin. So we want to decorate the sky with kites. An estimated 1.5 million refugees are now crowded in Rafah. The U.S. and aid agencies have warned against a ground offensive there. Neighboring Egypt says that would undermine its 40-year-old peace treaty with Israel. Elaine Cobb, CBS News. Back in the U.S., the CDC is warning about a rise in measles infections. Correspondent Stephen Stock reports kids are at risk. Clark County, Washington made national news in 2019 with a measles outbreak that lasted for months. It started with one case, then came another. 
in all 71 measles cases before it was over. Were you scared? Terribly. Terrified. Yeah. During the outbreak, Jessica Fitchell's son battled childhood leukemia at just six years old. His life would be in grave danger if he would have been exposed to measles and contracted it. We found nationwide the share of unvaccinated kindergartners grew significantly in the last three years. In the 19 states where we analyze data, the vaccination rates are so low, at least 8,595 schools are now at risk of a measles outbreak. That's at least 800,000 students. Across the country here in New York City, they had their own measles outbreak in 2019. 649 people in all. Dozens had to be hospitalized. The city's public health commissioner says while more people in New York City got vaccinated because of the outbreak, the numbers have been declining ever since. I'm worried about the trend if it continues in that direction. Do you need to be stricter enforcement? Say, if you don't have them, you don't go to school, period. It is not just enforcement. It's not just mandates. It is engagement, communication, trust building. The reason rates are down is complicated. Six different experts point to everything from political influences to fear of vaccines, mistrust in government to misinformation. We now have a misinformation superhighway, um, which is social media and frankly, an, an entirely unregulated and unfettered access to this information. Why wouldn't you do it for the five-year-old kid um, who, if he were to get measles, he's going to die? Stephen Stock, CBS News, Vancouver, Washington. The nation is preparing for its most watched sporting event. This year's Super Bowl contest is between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. But Coach Johnny Holland is in a much bigger battle against cancer. With just three days to go, it's crunch time for the San Francisco 49ers. Win or lose, linebackers coach Johnny Holland is cherishing every moment. Sunday is a great day because it's game day, but... You know, I found out now that every day is a great day. It's taught me a lot to see life in a different perspective. Five years ago, after feeling pain in his shoulder and ribs, Holland was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a rare, incurable blood cancer. Immediately, I started chemo treatment and uh, went on every day, going to work every day and go get chemo once a week. It probably took about six months to realize that, hey, this is pretty serious that you're going through He's now part of a clinical trial at University of California San Francisco Medical Center that's testing new treatments. Immunotherapy utilizes the body's immune system to help fight the cancer. To explain it simply, one arm attaches to the cancer cell and one arm attaches to the, the body's own T cell. And, and so what it does is it basically revs up the, the body's own immune system, revs up the body's T cell to help uh, attack the cancer. Samantha Shinoy is a nurse practitioner who's coaching Holland through every visit. Patients living with myeloma live with a lot of uncertainty, right? So he faces that uncertainty with a really positive attitude. The cause of multiple myeloma is unknown. Also unknown, why black patients make up one in five new diagnoses, making Holland's participation in the trial a game changer. It's really important to have um, diversity within clinical trials so we can help answer some of these questions. Holland says football is his medicine and hopes his story inspires others to keep going and keep fighting. And so for me, is uh, to get in these trials is really extending my life. I just want to be able to use and be in a trial that hopefully it help other people.
Nora O'Donnell, CBS News. The nation is celebrating Black History Month, and KTVT-TV's Karen Borda in Texas reports people flocked to see the woman known as the grandmother of Juneteenth. Dozens of people crowded into the D.L. Hopkins Jr. Senior Center in Duncanville for the chance to meet with and hear from a local legend, 97-year-old Ms. Opal Lee. I think these young people here at Duncanville, and I know it's a senior citizen's center, but uh, anybody on the 97 is a young person here. And so they're wanting to hear, I think, about freedom and Juneteenth, and I'm willing to tell them what I know. Juneteenth is the day commemorating the date two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation that slaves in Texas finally learned they were free. For decades, into her 90s, Ms. Opal campaigned to have Juneteenth become a federal holiday. More than two and a half years ago, her dream became reality. All right. She recalled for the audience the Juneteenth celebrations of her childhood, but she also reminded them that the day is about much more than just a party. Oh, did we have fun. But Juneteenth, it's just more than a festival. It's, it's freedom, and it's freedom for everyone. And I want you to remember, the 4th of July freed the land, but Juneteenth freed the people. She says she's humbled and pleased that so many people want to hear her message, and she hopes they're willing to carry the baton. It says that perhaps they're interested enough to pass the message on. And I'm wanting them desperately to think of themselves, make themselves a committee of one to change somebody's mind. Not going to happen in a day. They're going to have to work at it. But if people have been taught to hate, they can be taught to love. Something she says is worth working toward. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, results from the largest poll of transgender people. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including income inequality. This time we're talking about findings from what's being billed as the largest poll of trans people ever. More than 92,000 people participated in the National Center for Transgender Equality survey, and while there are positive signs of more acceptance, many still feel unsafe on the nation's streets. NCTE Executive Director Rodrigo Hang Leighton joins us and begins with the top concern for the trans community going into this election year. Well, tragically, 
transgender rights are under attack all around the country in state legislatures, which are rapidly introducing bills that seek to restrict access to transition related health care, using the restroom, basic parts of everyday life like that. And on the federal level, we have candidates for office who are treating transgender Americans as a political football to try to score points. So that is adding up to widespread discrimination and a climate of hostility against trans people in many ways. But remarkably, our survey also shows that families of transgender people are becoming more accepting. We saw acceptance by families grow several percentage points over our survey in the last cycle. And what I think that proves is that as everyday Americans get to know actual transgender people in their lives, they come to understand that we're not the boogeyman under the bed. We're, we're everyday people just trying to get up in the morning and go to work like anybody else. So I draw a lot of encouragement from seeing that family acceptance rate rise. I think that over time, as more and more people become familiar with what it means to be transgender, they will come to support transgender people. And eventually, candidates for elected office won't have an incentive to attack their own constituents and their families anymore. They'll see that this isn't worth it. So I've got to ask you, the last couple of surveys, and there are other uh, trans and LGBTQ advocacy groups that have done similar surveys, there's been a pretty serious climate of fear that's been getting worse. And I know that black transgender women are being murdered in cities across the nation. Did you get the sense that things are less frightening out there or are they more frightening this time around? There is definitely a lot of fear among transgender people and our families these days. The as attacks against transgender people grow in the policy sphere, meaning legislation and policy coming out of the government, there's also growing physical attacks, actual physical violence being perpetrated against transgender people. Last year, we saw the rate of hate crimes against transgender people grow, even though other hate crimes went down. So the stakes are incredibly high and truly a matter of life or death. Now, many, many transgender people are finding themselves worried for their own safety. I mean, in, in the U.S. Transgender Survey, we asked people about whether they've considered moving to another state because of these issues. And disturbingly, nearly half of all respondents, 47% of trans respondents said that, yes, they've had to consider moving to another state just because of this climate of fear and rising attacks. Um, and, you know, not coincidentally, the states from which people most often said they were considering moving away from are the states that have been the leaders in introducing anti-transgender bills in their legislatures. And remarkably, 5% of respondents have actually already moved. So that is 5% of people in the survey who not just thought about moving and had to make that heartbreaking decision about whether to stay with their family and loved ones 
or relocate for safety, 5% of them have actually gone ahead and actually had to do it. And that is a heartbreaking choice that I don't think anyone should have to make, whether transgender or not. And I've got to ask you this, I'm sure, is partly because of states that are restricting gender-affirming care. Florida, I think, has actually restricted that care for adults as well. And then there's all the rhetoric about transgender athletes. Are there are there other things that are really just concerning out there? Healthcare is one of people's top concerns. Everyone should be able to go to the doctor to get the treatment that they need, regardless of their gender. And yet we found that transgender people are still facing persistent barriers and discrimination in just doing this simple act of going to the doctor. And when it comes to transition-related healthcare in particular, transition-related healthcare is very much under attack. And many state legislatures, uh, over 20 states, have already passed bills to restrict transition-related healthcare, which is evidence-based, it's medically supervised, it's supported by the American Medical Association and other leading institutions. This is life-saving care. In our in the U.S. transgender survey, we did find that despite the uh, all of the political controversy about transition related health care, respondents overwhelmingly said that transition related health care made their lives better over 94 percent. That is nearly all respondents said that when that they are more satisfied with their life for having transitioned. And nearly 100% of them who had been able to access hormones or transition-related surgery, nearly 100% said that they were more satisfied with their lives for having had this essential healthcare. So, I mean, I bring that up because hearing about all the discrimination that transgender people are facing, you might think that it is a, a grim and negative life. But Nevertheless, in spite of the discrimination, 94% of people said, I'm still glad I transitioned. My life is still better for having done it. And what I think that shows is the power of authenticity. It is a powerful thing to finally be able to live as your true self instead of having to hide in the closet. And there's no amount of discrimination that can undo the importance of that. Okay, so let me jump in again. And we were talking a bit politics, and I'm not going to ask you by party, but what did people in the survey say they want to hear from candidates that might bring them to the polls or keep them away from the polls? Well, we did not ask about uh, direct candidates in the survey in order to uh, keep it scientifically rigorous and really focus on transgender people's experiences as opposed to opinions. But what we can see from the survey is that overwhelmingly transgender people and our families notice when elected officials attack us and it has an effect on our day-to-day lives overwhelmingly what transgender people want when it comes to policy is simply better, safer access to simple institutions like healthcare, schools, the ability to hold a job, the ability to get an accurate driver's license or state ID that shows the correct M or F for male or female or X for people who are neither. People really just want the ability to go to work, see the doctor when they're sick, enroll their kid in school, and know that they're going to be safe. I think we can all agree that no one should experience discrimination just because of who they are, and that includes transgender neighbors too. 
All right. So having said that, okay, I'm a black woman, right? So I know what it's like for me to walk down the street or a black man to walk down the street or worse, walk into an expensive store. What is it like for a transgender person walking down the street in this nation these days? And is it different if you're in, say, New York City or somewhere in North Dakota? Unfortunately, so many transgender people now do really feel unsafe walking down the street and have for many years, even before the surge in anti-transgender legislation. There's simply not enough acceptance of transgender people. And especially there's it's especially more dangerous for transgender people of color, especially black transgender people, and especially in particular black transgender women. There's with the escalating murders and hate crimes, we've seen time and again that black transgender women in particular, are a majority of the hate crime victims. So this is a combination of both hostility against transgender people and racism coming to a head to take away people's lives and safety. And we saw in the U.S. Transgender Survey really high rates of discrimination in public spaces as well. So, for example, many people reported that when they were asked to show an ID when paying with a credit card to verify it's their card, that then they get harassed by the store clerk or the employees because that ID often outs them as transgender because it has the old gender marker on it. We saw that many people were asked to leave a store because they were transgender and, and supposedly the store clerk is saying they're making other people uncomfortable simply because they happen to be trans. So simply doing these basic everyday things of navigating public life is very dangerous for a lot of transgender people. Really, really briefly, what would make this better in the short term? You said it's helpful that families, as people get to know trans people, they're less freaked out. Is there something else that can be done to make this better? Well, we need everybody who cares about transgender people, whether you are transgender yourself or not, to be speaking out. There is such a rise in this anti-transgender legislation, and that creates a ripple effect of other kinds of violence and danger. When the government sends a message that transgender people are not valuable, other people in the public hear that and think that they can physically attack transgender people and get away with it too. So we need everybody to be vocal. If you understand that a transgender person is simply a person trying to get through the day like anybody else, we need you to speak out, contact your elected officials against these bills, talk to the people in your life who may not be as familiar with what it means to be transgender yet. We need you to speak out to help everyone be safer, transgender people and our families alike. That's NCTE Executive Director Rodrigo heng Leighton. Coming up, football's biggest day from every angle. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keys. You know what time it is, and if you are lucky, you already have a place to be for Super Bowl Sunday. Information you need? Halftime show? Usher. It's literally 12 to 15 minutes if I can manage to impress the entire world over 30 years of a career within 15 minutes. It's, it's a lot, you know. I'm definitely happy that I'm coming off a successful residency and, and kind of end the, the rhythm of, all, mm -hmm. of it overall. Because otherwise, you know, you kind of have to restart and you know, relive the moment. Like that's hard for him. 
And oh, the commercials, like soccer superstar Leo Messi, who's just trying to get a beer at the beach. Hola. Maybe a different beer? No, Miguel Ultra. And those TV sitcom stars, one of whom doesn't remember her great love. Jen! Hey! Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Have we met? Plus our favorite Clydesdales and a good friend. Bring it again for Budweiser. Hey! But almost as important as the football, almost, is what you're going to eat and how much will it cost. CBS's Michael George tells us not everyone is headed to a fancy bar. As the Chiefs and 49ers prepare for Sunday, so does the offensive line of America's restaurants. We call it our game day. We call it our big Super Bowl day. Super Bowl Sunday is one of Domino's busiest days of the year, selling on average 2 million pizzas. Franchisee Giovanni Gera says they've been preparing for two weeks. It's all hands on deck. Down to our office staff, you'll find our office team members working in a store that day. Whether you're placing an order or cooking at home, inflation has pushed up most food prices. The latest government numbers show dining out is up more than 5%. The grocery store isn't as bad. And one fan favorite is actually cheaper. Wings are down. Wells Fargo economist Michael Swanson says fresh chicken wings at the store are down 5%, and the frozen variety are 11% cheaper than last year. That's good news, with Americans expected to eat nearly one and a half billion wings this week. We see a continued improvement in the poultry sector, and that's really helped with the price of wings. Chips will cost about 5% more, while guacamole prices are about the same as a year ago. And Swanson says it's always a good idea to shop for deals. Supermarkets are aggressively trying to get people into their store. We do very well. Jarrah says with football viewership smashing records, they expect pizza orders Sunday may do the same. When it's a big game this year, Kansas City, San Francisco, it's going to be a big day across the board. An all-out blitz to keep football fans fed. Michael George, CBS News, New Rochelle, New York. Next question, what you going to wear? And CBS's Chris Van Cleve says Homeland Security officials are cracking down on knockoff goods. On the hunt for Super Bowl football fakes, Homeland Security investigations agents sweep through Las Vegas, seizing 4,600 counterfeits in hours, worth nearly a million dollars. Do you think that's the tip of the iceberg? Yes. So this is a big problem. I think annually uh, the number of items out there are estimated to be in the trillions, and that's trillions with a with a T. So how do you know something's a fake? HSI Executive Associate Director Katrina Berger. Criminal organizations sell counterfeit merchandise. They manufacture and use the gains for um, many nefarious purposes. So the counterfeits are going to fund what? All kinds of criminal, criminal activities. Much of it is sold online, and those websites may be looking to steal your identity. I see some items that uh, right in front of us that are most likely going to be counterfeit NFL merchandise. But Special Agent Brandon Crane spotted these moments into our walk through Fremont Street in downtown Vegas. As we get closer to the Super Bowl, you're going to see more and more of it. You're going to see mom and pop shops popping up. You're going to see people selling these items out of the trunks of their cars. It's, it's so prolific. Among the items seized so far, hundreds of jerseys, knockoff Super Bowl championship rings, even a fake Lombardi trophy on sale for 2500 bucks. Last year, Operation Team Player led to 434 arrests. You know, true fans keep it real. That's what I want the fans to know. Also, if the price is too good to believe, 
It usually is. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Las Vegas. Things that are real, how the NFL is moving to welcome LGBTQ fans to the party and the field. KLAS-TV's Ryan Matthey. Uh, Las Vegas is changing with sport. Well, sport's changing with the inclusion of all of its fans. And one of the largest LGBTQ plus organizations in the country saying the NFL's come a long way, but has some way to go. All right, tonight marks the third annual Night of Pride. A night between the NFL, its family of brands, and GLAAD, spotlighting the football giant's evolution. Queer fans have poured their money, their time, their love into this sport in ways that I don't think a lot of people talk about. It. But it's also an acceptance of its gay players. Former Cowboys and Buccaneers defensive end R.K. Russell didn't come out until after his playing days. Football for young people is a lot of time telling them how they shouldn't be, how you shouldn't run, how you shouldn't throw, how you shouldn't walk. Former Raiders player Carl Nassib became the first openly gay active player in 2021. Uh, life is better when you're being yourself and uh, people love you more when you're yourself. And while the NFL has made some strides like uplifting host city businesses diversely owned and donating to the cause. The NFL has the power and the platforms to change culture. GLAD's president CEO Sarah Kate Ellis says it's about getting everyone else in the league on board. The coaches, the owners, the teammates. I just need them to participate in creating open and welcoming environments. An enduring message that football is for everyone. Finally, KTVT-TV photojournalist Mike Kinney with the story of how Make-A-Wish North Texas is sending three young people to the game. We are here at Love Field to send off three extraordinary men um, who get to go to the Super Bowl this weekend on behalf of Make-A-Wish. We say go, you say fight. This will create memories for these Wish kids and their family that will last a lifetime well beyond just the weekend in Vegas. My name is Vincent Wakefield. I'm from Peace Springs, Texas. I've liked the NFL since I was very little and I just wanted to go to the Super Bowl. I'm Luke Blank, and I live in Dallas, Texas, and why I chose to go to Super Bowl is because I love football. I'm Solomon Barber. I'm from Denton currently, and I chose the Super Bowl because I love football more than anything. We're headed on to Vegas, like 3784. It's also a family thing, you know, because all my family loves football, so it's just something that we all bond over. All right, ready? One, two, three. Since you found out, it's been nonstop talking about it. It was like a dream come true. It was surprising. How excited were you when you found out the Chiefs were going to be in? Uh, I was very excited. I watched the game, and I was excited that they were going to the Super Bowl. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. 
Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.